seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have me, Sacred Stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother. You are now tuned in to Getting Fit Podcast, the podcast that brings you unapologetic black fitness. I'm your host, B Hustle. So let's tune in. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's your girl, V. Back at it again this week. Sorry, you guys, that I missed you all last week. I had to do some traveling with my day job and things just kind of got out of hand. So, yeah, sorry about that. But moving forward, we are still in the month of March and March is going by so fast. I was just looking at the calendar and I'm like, oh my gosh, we're like two weeks away from April. It's crazy, but now we are in spring. I am so happy about that. Love the sun, love the warm weather. So I'm ready for it to start warming back up and staying warm because it has been warm here in Memphis, but it, it does like this, you know, bipolar weather. Some people call it it's 70 degrees one day, the next day is 40. But anywho, you guys back with it this week we have so excited to have this person in our guest chair we have the one and only chef d author in the guest chair and if you do not know who chef d author is he is a native of memphis tennessee he graduated from the university of memphis in 2007 he began his culinary education at the international culinary school at the art institute of atlanta however he only stayed there for a short period of time and then he pursued his degree in higher education administration at louisiana state university after grad school he gained a career as a senior training coordinator at regional one health but something in his soul told him to go ahead and take their risk and pursue his passion. And so he did so. And now he is the owner of Chef D. Authors Catering. He has spent the last couple of years being a private and personal chef for members of the Memphis Grizzlies, Brooklyn Nets, and Indianapolis Pacers. Currently right now, you all can follow him on Instagram and I will leave his info below. He is a food blogger, a speaker, an etiquette coach, and a personal chef who travels the world for his clients. So if you ever want to heat him up, you already know where he is. And he actually has a calendar out with his recipes that are, oh my goodness, I cook, um, look, I'm no chef, but I cooked a few of his recipes, bomb, bomb bomb.com. So yeah, tune in, turn up, take some notes, talking about food just eating right and how he's improving himself and his story yeah so i hope you all enjoy let me know leave a comment let us know all right here we go so in the guest chair today we have chef d author and welcome to the podcast chef d hey how are you i'm great so excited to talk to you i'm fucked too let's do it So, like I start with all of my guests, I want to just jump right in. And let's just talk about your nutritional background growing up in Memphis. Like, 
were you aware of the um the science of food, let me say, or was it was just was it just like, yeah, it's food, I'm eating. <laughs> well, it was one of those things where I wasn't really aware of it um intentionally when I was a kid, but I was always around it. And so you kinda of pick up on things without realizing you're picking up on it. And so going back to like my, my grandmother was a nutritionist. Like she used to work I believe for UT Health and went around um doing healthy food demos. So it's so fascinating for her that I do that now. Oh wow. And like you know, back then people weren't into nutrition as much as they are now, but my mother was always kinda of on the healthier side of things. So we always, you know, typically our food was baked. We always ended up eating some type of vegetables. It was a vegetable. It was a real problem if you did not eat that vegetable. So it was like something that I've always been around, paid attention to. Uh, when I went out to restaurants, I had to order a certain way because my parents made sure that I had to have a certain, you know, balanced meal, even when we're out dining. Even I remember we used to go to Ryan's all the time, the buffet. Mm-hmm. We had free buffet and do whatever we wanted to get, but you, at some point, something green better be on your plate. around my entire life. Okay, okay. So that that's great. Like, when I look back on it in my chat, I can remember – at one point, I didn't used to eat all of my food, and I never was a chunky kid. I wasn't like a fat kid, but I was. I wasn't I was. skinny neither. Oh, you were. So, people people who knew me then, you know, nowadays, they'd be like, "You were not fat. You were you were a little fluffy. You were a little chunky, but like, you know, it was like this." preteen type of sign and so you were not fat but I definitely thought I was fat (laughs) (laughs) so last few years elementary beginning of junior high school I definitely felt like a fluffy kid oh okay okay wow I would not expect it that's funny I wouldn't expect it so how did you from that I mean from that and that's very interesting that you saw that you saw your grandmother doing those healthy demos. So when did it click for you about you wanting to be in the kitchen? Or did you always used to help out in the kitchen, like when <clears throat> when you all did family dinners or whatever? Well, I was always that kid in grown folks' business, I would say. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And traditionally, you know, a lot of chatter and grown folk talk happens in the kitchen, whether it's like mom cooking dinner and parent dad in their kitchen about a day or like, you know, got family in town and like they in there getting something ready to eat and so the fucking kitchen like talking. Um, and so it's really like been those types of spaces where um I've always just been around and in the kitchen and being nosy. But what I recognized is I was kind of fascinated by it. Mm. it thing. it um, I tell people on all of these uh, speaking engagements I go on that it kind of started with ramen noodles for me because, you know, rather than using a seasoning tag, I think, well, first of, let me say that I think ramen noodles is something that most parents feel safe to their kid making, throw it in the microwave. When you get home from school, you ain't got to turn my stove on. Mm-hmm. I would get kids, rather than cooking it in the microwave, I would cook it on the stove. Yeah, rather than putting a little seasoning pack that came with it in mine, I would be in my mom's seasoning cabinet, putting everything in. <laughs> Curry, coriander, cumin, 
test break. I don't know what any of this stuff is, but we're going to test it out today. Oh, wow. But it's really that curiosity kind of peaked really, really early, and then that turns into if we have some leftovers, rather than just heating them up in the microwave, I'm taking the old chicken and I'm chopping it up and re-seasoning it in skillet and putting it on something and in something. And so it just, I was very curious about food at a very early age. Wow. Uh, intensified as I grew up. Yeah, that is very curious because I was basic. <laughs> I was a basic kid. Uh, yeah, let me put these noodles in the microwave. <laughs> but okay, so when you end up, that that was like middle school, high school, correct? Um, it was at the point that was elementary. With, uh, oh wow! When I was doing that, by the time I was in high school, I was I, I had figured out how to make some things, and I was full fledged kind of cooking at that point. Okay. So when you went off to college, you didn't go straight into culinary school, correct? I did not. I did not. You know, while culinary school definitely existed, um, information wasn't the same back then. You know, the Internet wasn't the same back mm-hmm. then. Cell phones weren't the same back then. Our guidance counselors weren't talking about it as much, I'm sure, because I never had any guidance counselor ever presented to me. That's it discredit them, it just wasn't as much of a thing back then. I graduated high school in 2003, and so that just wasn't a, a big part of the conversation. You know, now you can turn on the TV, and it's a culinary school commercial. Yep. Every other co- that was not the case back then. The Food Network had already always been the station, but the Food Network that we know today, um, it wasn't that back then. And so it just... Um, Food media, culinary school, information, all of that was just very different. And so I ended up going to the University of Memphis, which is a traditional four-year school, um, uh, because there just was no information about culinary school. If if someone had presented the opportunity to me to go to some kind of four-year culinary program, Mm -hmm. I probably would all over that. And I had done some research. uh, There were definitely some culinary programs that I knew about, but it just, you know, like, for example, the Culinary Institute of America was in Hyde Park, Hyde Park, New York. Well, the 17-year-old version is kind of like Hyde Park, New York. Where is it? Like, I know New York, New York. Like, like <laughs> it, it just didn't feel yeah. tangible. The information wasn't really there and, and stuff like that. So. Wow. That's, and it's funny that you said that because when I, I think I had to be, so I'm from Chattanooga. And so, you know, Chattanooga okay. is right there next to Atlanta, like what, 90 miles or so away. So when okay. I, <clears throat> say that again. It's like 45 minutes or so. Yeah. So when, so when I was in the ninth grade, I believe, for art class, we had went to, we took a field trip to Atlanta, and we went to the art museum, to the high museum, and we also went to the art institute. And I just went because it was far, I was in art, and knowing good and well, I'm far from an artist. <laughs> and I, I wanted to go on a field trip because in high school, you don't go on many field trips. And I was like, oh, yeah, I want to go on this trip or whatnot but I can remember seeing um the different students in our institute and I was like what is this like what 
kind of school is this? Yeah. And it's like the science behind it and the things that they were doing with the food and they were just showing us. I was like, wow. I I mean, I wasn't interested in becoming a chef or anything artsy like, even though my plans is kind of changed now, I guess, a little bit. But I was just amazed at everything. And when I think about it, I'm like, even though it didn't impact me, someone like yourself taking that trip, that could have made a, you know what I mean? It could have made a major difference. Yeah. I had never experienced anything like that. Like, I had never been in a commercial kitchen or anything like that. It wasn't mm. I worked at Chili's for a little bit in college and uh, in a to-go area. So I saw that kitchen in action, but a lot of that food is not like real cooking, no shade to Chili's. Chili's, uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of it is just kind of, you know, reheating and, and or putting some on the grill that's technically kind of halfway already done. Yeah. So that wasn't really like what, that's what I wanted. So when I, I actually, after college, um, I had a job that I hated for a little while. I got a little depressed and was trying to figure out life because I didn't really have any plans because college was really lit for me. And uh, I was just out here having fun and involved in all of this stuff, and that was life. And then once graduation came, it was kind of like, oh, God, what now? <laughs> yeah. So what did, what, did you ma- what did you major in at the University of Memphis? Communication. Okay. I had a communications major, and then I ended up with an African-American studies minor. Okay. So nothing to do with food. <laughs> um, but yeah, I graduated and just got a regular job, and uh, and it had nothing to do with any major communications either. It was just like I went to different uh, job search sites on online mm-hmm. and applied for anything that I could I qualify for, and ended up getting this job. And it was sucky. Yeah. Um, that's <laughs> 2007 and. There's more information out there now about culinary school. Uh, at this point, the internet is no longer no longer on dial-up. We have yeah. <laughs> so information is at your fingertips at this point. And um, so I decided, okay, you know, let's do this whole culinary school thing. That's something that you've always wanted to do, and now you're grown, you're unhappy in this regular job. So let's kind of do the thing that you said you always wanted to do. So I moved to Atlanta to go to the Art Institute of Atlanta, and that was my first time seeing, like, a real kitchen. Oh, wow. With all of the equipment. And, you know, before you leave every day, you have to clean that stuff like it's a brand new building. Mm. So being cool looking. And I was kind of like, oh, my God. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. So before you had, um, before you went, to the culinary school, did you look at, did you just was like, okay, I know this is exactly what I want to do. I'm just going to apply. And if, you know, they accept me, I'm going. Or was it, were you on the fence about things? No, I was just in a place where life uh, was sucking and I kind of got tired of it sucking. You know, I had, you know, like I said, I was extra involved in college. And so, in a school like University of Memphis, like, if you're a student leader, you basically, they treat you like a rock star over there. Yeah. And so, basically, like, you were, like, kind of like big man on campus one day, and then you graduate, and the next day, you just kind of, like, life is completely different than it was. Yeah. Before. 
And so then you have relationship issues, you have this these ideas of what salary will feel like and then you get this salary and you recognize that that ain't what you thought it was gonna be. Oh. Uh, Preach on that. <laughs> uh, it's just like life was just uh just very different from what it was what I had been used to for the last four and a half years. And so it was kinda First thing, there was a lot going on, a lot to handle. And so I made an intentional decision, like, all right, bro, we're not going to do this whole sad thing too much longer. Yeah. I think not but I remember it was April. I had started the job in January. January through April were, like, so sucky. And so I made a decision, like, all right, maybe we're making decisions, big decisions to change our lives. Our life, we're not going to be sad. We're not going to dwell in this. And so May hit. I just became really optimistic. And so that's when that, the notion of culinary school kind of presented itself. I remember, like, okay, what do you want to do? Because this is what you're doing right now is not life. Um, I was like, oh, you always want to go to culinary school rather than just applying for it. Because I could have very easily applied for just another random job. And mm-hmm. a bit. I think I recognized that even that was going to be unfulfilling and I was going to be in another situation where I, where I was unhappy. So let's not play that game where you just apply for jobs just because you can. Let's be intentional about it. And so that's what culinary school came back. And um, I decided to apply. I was never on the fence at the point that I made the decision. It was just kind of like, at that point, it was just a matter of which one. And yeah. My mind was thinking like, all right, you know, you did your research in high school and Culinary Institute of America was like the most popping one. It's in Hyde Park, New York. At this point, Hyde Park, New York doesn't sound as intimidating as it did at 17 uh, because you're 21 now. And, uh, you know, you've traveled a few places and you've seen some stuff and you've done some college things. And so it doesn't seem like a scary thing like it did when you were 17. So let's apply that. And my dad was like, please don't go all the way to New York. Any company <laughs> you want to go to this close to Memphis, I will pay for the application fee. So please don't go to New York. And I was like, all right. So um, he applied for my application. He paid my application fee to go to the Art Institute of Atlanta. I could have gone to the Art Institute of Nashville, but that just felt too close. Yeah. So I uh, got up and I decided to move to Atlanta. And it was like, uh, at the point that I made that decision, that's what I was going to do. Uh, it was happening. I was not on the fence. Okay. <laughs> that's, like, my, that's kind of me in general, though. Yeah, yeah. That's that's how I am, too, because I, I when I finished uh, undergrad, I was in a position that I absolutely hated. And even though, like you mentioned about the salary, and I am... I definitely learned my lesson that money isn't everything because I was making a nice salary, but I was like, I hate this. Like, I absolutely hate this. Like, I this can't be life. This cannot be my life. I, I need to right. do something that I'm actually passionate about. Right. So. I, I don't know anybody who did not have that moment after undergrad. Like, even the people I know who, went straight to grad school. We're like in grad school, like, oh my God, I should have taken a break. Or I'm, I'm tired of school. I want to be out there making money. Not. People who went straight to work were like, either whether you had a good job or a crappy job, it was still just kind of like, oh, maybe I should have taken some time and stayed at school. Like, everybody was just kind of like, oh my God, is this life? Is this a joke? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> so, how was your experience at um, the Art Institute of Atlanta? Like, how long is that? How long is the program of the program that you went through? 
I was, so my program was supposed to be, I think, like 18 months or maybe a little bit shy of two years, but I was only there for one quarter. And one quarter may have been, I don't want to lie, but no more than six or seven weeks. Oh, wow. I was not in culinary school a long time at all. And that's because I was so eager to get to Atlanta that, like, when it was signing up for all of this paperwork and signing up for loans and stuff, I was signing stuff. Like, it didn't matter. Like, it did not matter. <laughs> I, I was, because, I, like I said, my mind was made up. So it did not matter. Um, I was going to culinary school. So it wasn't until that first quarter that I realized, uh, you're going to be in debt forever. Your grandkids going to be in debt forever. Signed up for brother. Let's wait a minute. Let's rethink this bit. Um, and so I was only there for one quarter. And not because it was cool, but it was because uh, it was expensive. Yeah. I had not. And I had already had undergrad loans. And so I did not completely think through what I was doing. I just decided I was going to do it and I did it. And, um, and that's a smart decision. That's a very smart decision, I believe. Even though you probably did want to stay there for the full um, term of the program. But, yeah, let's do the loans. <laughs> I have a bachelor's and a master's, and I was going back for a second master's, and then I thought I, I was listening to, I forgot where I was listening to, Some, it was either the breakfast club or something, and somebody came on, and they were like, why are you in school? So I forgot where I heard this from, but they were like, "Why are you in school to make more money, or are you in school to prove something to somebody else? or to prove something to yourself, but why are you doing this? And if you are doing it to to learn more, why can't you just learn on your own and build from there? And I was like, that's a good point. Why am I keep paying all this money to go to school? Because <laughs> I hate paying these student loan debt. Me too. I just, I was talking to my student loan people the other day, and I was just kind of like, y'all, ooh, I know y'all just doing y'all job, but yeah, yeah. So once you came out of that first quarter, you moved back to Memphis. No, I stayed in Atlanta at the time of my life because I, oh. I was working at AT and T, and this is when the um, iPhone was new and only AT and T had it. So those mm-hmm. commission checks were uh, life. Mm. And I met other friends in Atlanta, and this is during the recession. This is 2008 at this point, so it's the recession. So a lot of my friends were like laid off and stuff. So like, just, my kick at level was like none other because like right now in life, everybody goes to work, and so like weekday kick it may be limited to a random happy hour, but that's about it. Yeah, All fun that We were kicking it like every day because I didn't have a regular Monday through Friday type of schedule and a lot of them were laid off so I could kick it any time. So it was just like a lot of hanging out in somebody's living room. <laughs> <laughs> we just sit chilling, drinking, potlucking because we weren't going out to eat all the time but of course you got to eat so a lot of potlucking and that's when I started exploring a lot more with cooking as well because it's just kind of like, oh, you can cook? Um, are you trying to go out to eat? So it was like a lot of just hanging out in different people's houses and living rooms and just hanging and like, so I stayed in Atlanta for a year. And okay. I got to the point where my dad was all right, son. Like, listen, again, you can't. I get it. You work at AT and T. I'm not saying it's a bad job, but for you, this is not a career. Uh, so you, you, we need to figure something else out. Right? Now. <laughs> if you're gonna go to grad school, if you're gonna 
find a cheaper culinary school, find a cheaper culinary school, but like, you know, you, we gotta cut, we need a plan here. Yeah. And so, um, I decided that I was gonna go to grad school and, uh, I was really, really involved in college. Really involved, like, pretty much the president of a couple of different clubs and organizations, stuff like that. I really enjoyed, like, student leadership, engagement, activity kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I always go back to college for that if, you know, push came to shove. And so I decided to apply at the last minute. This might have been, let's say this was mid-February when I decided to go to grad school. And uh, there were a few schools that had March 1st application deadlines. And so I rushed and got all these recommendations, took the GRE, had an offer score, by the way, to the point that I almost thought I wasn't going to apply. Wow. But I applied anyway. Because the parent, my friends kept telling me that they considered the application holistically. And I have, you know, while my score wasn't good, I had a decent GPA. I had all of this extracurricular situation going on. Um, I had bomb references. I had everybody critique my vision. I mean, my mission statement. Not my mission statement. My, uh, what do you call that? Whatever statement that you have to write. Uh, yeah. Uh, I can't think of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I had about. Ten pairs of eyes on that, so that was flawless, and uh, I got in. Wow! Uh, and I got in assistantship, so I go to grad school for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I complete grad school at LSU. Okay. And, uh, yeah, and then when I I graduated there, I ended up getting a job at the University of Memphis. And so that's so at one point I came back home. In okay. Okay, so in grad school, what was your major in grad school? Higher Education Administration. Okay. And then you went back to the University of Memphis and landed a position, you said? Yeah, so I was applying for, at this point, with this degree, I could have worked in student affairs at any college anywhere in the world. So that was my plan to, like, you know, this is a cool job where you can literally work anywhere. So mm-hmm. I'm applying schools everywhere. And uh, at this point, I don't want to come back to Memphis. And uh, I want to explore the world. And sure enough, I have all of these interviews over the work, all of these other schools, but none of them are kind of turning into a job. And so there's a position open at the University of Memphis, and everybody kept, kind of kept buzzing that I needed to apply for it. And I was like, nah, I don't want to go back to Memphis. <laughs> I, really not, I don't really want to do that. I want to take this opportunity to live all these other places. And so let's say that this job closed on April 1st at midnight. It wasn't until like March thirty first, oh. like eleven o'clock, that I decided. To Ooh! Put in my oh my gosh! I'll be obedient in the class. So I applied, and I got an interview. And so, like, I interview very, very well. And traditionally, if I get like a face to face interview, I know that I'm gonna get it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I do this interview, but like, I always do well interviews, but like, I blow this interview out of the water. Like, I have, like, OMG. I feel like God is trying to tell me to come on back to Memphis because I don't want to be there. But the way I just killed this interview, I know these people are going yeah. to get a job. And so sure enough, I got a job offer, and I came on back home to Memphis to work at the University of Memphis. Okay. Wow, that's crazy. And but that's still a- no food. <laughs> <laughs> but still no food. But you know what? When I... When- and that's how I look back on the path that I've taken. And I, I'm just looking over the path that you have discussed. Even though you majored in communications in undergrad and then you went to culinary school, I mean, communications in African, Africana studies. You had a minor, right? 
in undergrad? I didn't mind it the whole time. Like, truly, at the point that uh, I got ready to graduate, somebody advisor looked over my transcript and realized if I ever had an opportunity to take a class with an African-American emphasis, I did. And so I had accumulated enough of those classes. And she was like, if you just take two more, you'll have a minor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but to me, all of that still ties in, even though I don't know if you see it this way, it ties into what you are doing now to me because because like with now and I, I was just reading some articles on <clears throat> they're trying to which some schools have already started have started to try to have a degree in like this social media marketing thing but they don't know whether to put it in communications to put it in along with marketing or to put it in somewhere within science that's the difficult because it's a lot all three tie in together with you know social media and business and you know what i mean right. so right all of what you're doing and where you're at right now that i've seen that i see uh yeah i can see how it all ties and especially in with education and i was it, I, I'll talk to you about that later, but I was like, wow, he is kind of, well, he was, I'm not, you're, you're not still at the University of Memphis, right? No, I left there uh, quite some time ago, yeah, because I was a retention counselor, so I had 80 students, first generation, low income, and students with disabilities, and I would uh, counsel, we had a grant, we were grant funded, and basically, uh, we we were targeted with helping them stay in school because, it, it, you know, research shows that those students um, are not retained at the rate that they should be. And so my goal is to make sure that my 80 students had all of the resources and tools and counseling and et cetera. And so that's dope. But it wasn't, uh, it didn't have anything to do with tech, though. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. i ask you something else about that, too, later on. But jumping right back in, so once you left the university, so how long did you stay in that position at University of Memphis? I stayed there two years. What happened was my catering company started within that two years. Oh, okay. Yeah, after the first year, I was in a unique, unique space because now I have this job that I like. Because, uh, you know, I hated uh, the, the first job I, that I was talking about. But now I'm back in Memphis. Um Still not really making any real money because I work in education, but mm-hmm. um, but I like my job. I like my students. I'm in a space where I like uh, you know all of the higher ups and administrators like me. One because I do a good job at the job, but two because I'm a former student leader. So if I had a state of Memphis, I probably would be doing something pretty cool by now because you know they knew what I was capable of as a student. Now mm-hmm. I'm an adult. They don't like to let those kind of people go, right? And so. It's a good position, but it's just kind of like this whole food thing is just poking at me. It's just poking at me. Like I'm, I could be sitting in the middle of a counseling session with a student, pouring their heart out, and I'm listening, but I'm also thinking about this recipe I want to create. Yeah. Also, oh, I saw this on Food Network, and I can't wait to try it. Well, I went to this restaurant once, and they had this. I'm not going to go home. I'm going to go home and try this, and I'm going to try with just being on it. And so that is what my mind was doing. So this this desire to be a chef just did not relent. And I got to a point where I was frustrated. And so because you, you tried culinary school, that didn't work. 
this point, you're a full adult with full adult bills, so you can't start your way to bottom in, like, a kitchen and work your way up. I can't start as a dishwasher and work my way up. I can't start as a line cook and work my way up. Um, I work a full-time job, so, like, trying to work at a restaurant to get experience in the evening, it just seems profit. So, it's like, I just need a foot in the door, but I don't know what that looks like for me at this point. Do you try to go back to the culinary school? One of the things that I said that I wanted to do was, now I work in higher education, which means that I, I'm credentialed to really work at any college. So maybe I'll work at a culinary school and either I can maybe take classes for some type of discounted employee rate or maybe, yeah, you know, my mind's doing all of this. And so mm-hmm. what my original plan was, I started applying for jobs in all of these culinary schools. And I had a few interviews. It would be like I had an interview at all of a sudden the position gets frozen because they have some type of HR stuff going on. Mm. Never quite crossed through that door. At one point I was about to move to Seattle to actually work at the Artist Institute of Seattle. I had a final interview and it was between me and another candidate and we were supposed to hear back by a certain day and when we heard back it was like you would never believe this but like our high ups have just sent down an HR freeze so we can't hire anybody for Wow. They were our top candidate, and I was kind of like, oh, no. Yeah. I couldn't get it. And so I ended up talking to one of my sweat brothers, who was an uh, actor out there, like, and I was telling him how frustrated I was. I really wanted to be a chef. I don't know how to at this point. Like, I don't know how to make that happen. He was like, yo, I have this homegirl. She went to Spelman. She's out here in L.A. She's a chef doing dope things. Basically the same story as yours. She went to her boss one day and said, crying and saying she could not do it anymore because she wants to do this whole shift thing so bad and now here she is all these years later cooking on like movie sets and cooking for celebrities and like doing the thing out here in LA and y'all should definitely commit so he sets up the time for her to talk she and I talk and we talk and she inspired me so much I actually if I ever see her or she on social media I always tell her like we started all of this because that conversation just kind of gave me the inspiration to step out on faith and kind of do it on my own. Mm. Really, because I'm not, that was never my energy or never my vibe. Like, coloring outside of the lines kind of guy. I was always, like, structure, rule follower, step follower. Like, I know that if I take these classes in undergrad, I'll graduate. I know if I apply to grad school, I'll get in. And if I do everything I'm supposed to, I'll graduate. I know if I get this position and I play my cards right, I can get a raise. Like, I follow rules. And that's, yeah, okay. that's, that's who I am as a comfortable being. And so to create something of your own, it's like, oh, this is not a comfortable space for me. I never <laughs> took any type of business course. I don't know anything about this. And so what the girl said was, like, just start cooking everywhere you go. Start cooking everywhere you go. Like, if somebody mm-hmm. invites you over to watch a game, even if they didn't ask you to bring food, take some wings or something. If somebody invites you over there for a movie night, take some food with you. Like, no matter where you go, start taking food everywhere because eventually people will begin to recognize you as that guy who can really cook. And I don't know what will manifest from that, but eventually something will manifest from that. And so I'll get off the phone with her, and I'm so hyped trying to figure out what platform do I have access to right now that I can cook it. And it dawned on me that... Uh, a, a friend of mine was having a pop-up shop in Memphis. It was a fashion pop-up shop, and it was a fairly new concept at the time. 
and at least in Memphis. And I hit him up. I was like, yo, do you have uh, anybody cooking any food, catering anything for your event? He was like, no, like, I don't have any budget for that. But if you want to do it, I'm I, I not turning down no free food. I was like, <laughs> it's enough. And so I, I went and made a, a quick Tumblr page that I was passing off as a website. I went left and cheap. $10 Vista print business cards made. Mm. I went to Walmart, got some uh, tablecloths. I had a friend who was willing to interior design to give me, like, make me the centerpiece. And I made uh, lasagna cupcakes. It was a recipe that I had been wanting to try out. And um, I tried it out on my friends, and it was a hit. So I made that for the event, and it was a hit. And people took these little cheap business cards, and they actually started calling me. Like, <laughs> It, it became a thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I'm glad that you had mentioned the fact of, and I think that's one of the things that I see, even with myself at times, I have this idea and I want everything to be so right. Like I want the right type of business card and I want this and I want that. I want everything to be perfect, but it's like, just try it. Just try to make the first step and, you know, and put it out there and see what you're going to get. You know what I mean? And, yeah, you did that. Because you, I mean, like, you're... In my mind at that point, it wasn't a business. Like, I I don't know what I was. my goal was. My goal was <laughs> not necessarily to create a business. I just was taking that chef advice to, like, find spaces to cook for because something will eventually come for that. So it wasn't like my mom was like, oh, I have a catering company. Yeah. In fact, the first part, the name of the blog was called Making the Chef. And so my and my idea was, like, to have a blog that talked about my journey and, and showed my, re- my recipe creation journey. And since I didn't go to culinary school and becoming a chef in my own right. And so... I wasn't calling myself a chef at that point. I wasn't calling myself a catering company. I was just looking for different spaces to cook out of. But what happened was, was after that first event, the people took that card. In their mind, I was a chef of the catering company. Yes, so yes. People, can you cook for this baby shower? I was like, oh, I need like a menu and prices and things. <laughs> this, is a, this is a thing. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, and so... My best friend, actually, he was just turning 30, and I took at his birthday party. And he paid me to cook at his birthday party, and so you have all of these people there, and like, these people are like, oh, this was good. Where's your card? So I pulled out this little card with my blog on it, thinking, like, this is not a real thing, but okay, here's my card. <laughs> and somebody calls And then they call you to cater this baby shower, and you do a good job, and there's all these women at this baby shower, and now they take this little rinky-dinky card that I made because they think it's a real thing, and then somebody calls me from there, and it just kicked up. Like, one call turned into another, turned into an opportunity, turned into three opportunities, and before I knew it, I was like, I have a business here. Okay. Yeah. And I think I, I was, wa- and I watch a lot of interviews. I apologize. But I was watching Jamie Foxx doing this interview, and he said, always be, it's not about the opportunity itself. It's about you being prepared when the opportunity comes. And I was like, that's so real. So basically, when those opportunities came, even though it was just a little business card, you were there to be able to give them your contact information and pass the word around. I was. 
I could have shied away. I could have been like, oh, guys, I was just, you know, doing something. This is more of a blog and not a catering company because I could see it being like, uh-huh. I don't know. Either. I don't know what a safer dish is or any of that kind of stuff. I, at that point, I was still living in my parents' house. I don't have equipment. I don't have the kitchen. I could have shied away from it. But I was like, oh, well, you know, <laughs> not exactly what you expected to come of this. But I don't, when I think about it, I don't know what I really expected to come of this. So let's explore where this is going. Mm-hmm. So, at that, so at that point, you were able to... Now you realize, hey, I have a business going. So what happened for you to say, you know what, let me just focus in on this, my passion, and let me allow this full-time career that I had at the University of Memphis go? Um, It took a minute to get to that point, but uh, what really happened was I kind of took off. I think, you know, Thank God for social media, but, like, if I catered something or cooked something, it was going on Instagram. It was going on Facebook. And people were like, oh, my God, that looks good. Who, who knew you cooked like that? And it became a thing. Mm. Like, it got point where, like, I still had these cards with the Tumblr page and that they're making the shelves. And one of my friends is kind of like, take that shit off your card. <laughs> <laughs> like, the chef. People are paying you for chef-like services. Maybe it's your chef. And I was really torn about that because, like, I really want to respect the craft yeah. industry. And I, I classically trained or I had worked in a restaurant. Blah, blah, blah. So I know there are a lot of classically trained people who would be offended by me giving myself that title. So saying making the chef was a safe space for respecting, you know, the craft. But then it's just kind of like people are paying you for chef services. They're paying you chef rate. They're paying you for catering company rates. And I was doing a good job. I was definitely not on the level that I am today, but at that point, I was doing an amazing job with the opportunities that were presented to me. Um, Mm. People were paying for it. So it's just kind of like, I eventually got brave enough to get another business card that said Chef D. Arthur. And I was eventually, you know, figured out how to get a website. And so it, it, what happened was I was getting into this place where uh, at first I was catering stuff at people's homes, like a baby shower or an apartment clubhouse. Well, now people want me to cater things and venues require business licenses and insurance health scores and other kind of stuff. So I had to figure that out. I had to figure all of that stuff out. Yeah. And uh, it got to the point where, like, I got a rental kitchen in downtown Memphis for a really good deal. I figured out how to get a business license. I figured out how to get insurance. And now I'm catering, like, weddings and stuff. And, like, at that point, I was still working at the University of Memphis. I kind of have built-in staff because, like I said, I pledged the fraternity at University of Memphis. So now we have all of these new Alphas walk running around, and so who need money? Their college students who need money, so yep. I have servers and I have students who I know need money, so I have students who are serving for me, and I'm cooking all of this food, and I'm catering these events, and I'm buying shaker dishes, and it got to the point where I picked up a lot of notoriety and traction. I got to the grocery store, and people are like, "Oh, you're that chef." And this is kind of like, "Oh, this is a thing now." <laughs> people know me for food in Memphis. Okay, all right, cool. Wow, didn't see that coming. And 
got to the point where, like, now I'm a full-fledged catering company, and I quit my job at the University of Memphis because I didn't want investors and stuff. I really wanted to, you know, fund my own business. But like I said, I was working in education. I'm making no real money. So I ended up getting a job at the Med, now Regional One Health, as a, a trainer. Okay. Uh, which is still kind of parallel with education to some regard. And uh, they brought me in to do, like, all, like, new hire orientation and stuff. And it was a really, really good job, making a lot more money than I was making at, like, I'm, like, now investing in my catering company. That was the goal to, like, have a nice enough job where I can pour money back into my company. Well, we get to this point where, like, now not only am I just successful as a catering company, like, I am way too busy. Staff people, and, like, I am burning the midnight oil. I am at work by day, cooking by night, a couple of events going on. Tired. Like, not tired <laughs> at work. Like, I was 15 times 20 in it, like, my goal had always been at the point that I recognized that I had a, a solid catering company in my hand was to, um, hands. My goal was to save up enough money, pay off any type of credit card or other debt that I had going on and save up and then quit my job and to do my catering company full time. Well, life just got me to a point where like, all right, you got to choose now. Body is hurting, your body is aching, you're tired all the time, like, like. Uber wasn't even a thing back then. I really needed to be Uber and everywhere I went. I was always looking <laughs> and driving and cooking and grocery shopping. You just, people understood back then that my, my apartment, I had, I got an apartment in downtown Memphis. This is a small apartment. I had catering racks all over my apartment, safer dishes and, and, and platters and stuff, literally in my living room. Like at that point in life, if you kicked it with me, you were down for the cause. Cause mm. my house, with, like, safer dishes everywhere, like catering equipment everywhere in this little apartment. I had wow. to You want to date me back then, you better get ready to roll the egg roll. <laughs> <laughs> I and know that's right. <laughs> I got to a point where it was so busy. And uh, one night I was in the kitchen, and it was randomly snowing outside in Memphis, and um, I was taking out the trash in the snow, and I had to be at work the next day because hospitals don't close when it snows. so bad and I'm tired and people would think that I eat a lot because I'm a chef but I actually get so busy that I don't eat anything sometimes and at that moment I felt like uh, was telling me alright now's the time yeah and so I'm like okay so I go to my boss and I ask her because I'm just a trainer so I was like can I be part time and then I can come in and train when I need to train and get you know I can still do the job just not on a full time basis and so she thought about it and said no um, and not because she wanted to say no, just because that's just because that was a full time position. She can change it just because she wanted to, just because she liked me. I was like, okay. Yeah. Then a few weeks later, I went back and was like, I gotta quit. And she, which was really interesting, we had a close relationship because she also owned the daycare center, and so she's an entrepreneur herself. She was like, don't do it, you know, stay a little while longer. And we had a really good work relationship, so she didn't want me to go nowhere, and she knew <laughs> what entrepreneurship was like. So she was like, stay a little longer, save your money. I'm telling you, it's gonna be hard. Don't quit. You sure about this? You don't want to think about it? And I was like, no, nah, I'm gonna go for it. So I quit this job, man, and to cater full time. And this was uh, 2015. 2015 probably was one of the roughest times of my life. And mm. not from a depressed place. This is kind of like, it was from a, a financial place. Like, I was struggling. Like, I had a, at this point, I had a nice little condo downtown in Memphis. I, I moved out, got a roommate. Um, 
you got a small like a car, like I was I could extend the grave, I could extend and like I'm catering like nonstop a couple of days a week a couple of events in a day and my popularity is like rising like I'm on the news and stuff now like it's a thing I'm catering like big weddings I'm working with some of the nicest uh, event planners in the city now and that's a big deal like when event planners yeah. do your work event planners only work with like certain catering companies and like they've been around forever and they've only worked with three or four catering companies so for somebody to come to you and truly, people along my life helped me out because, like, a high school class might might, might go to this nice wedding planner and be like, I want to use this catering company. Like, I graduated with this guy. I want to use him. And so now this event planner who wouldn't normally give you a shot is going to give you a shot mm-hmm. because you requested by a client. And so now I get the opportunity to impress them, and I get those opportunities, and I impress them. And so now I have these planners in my pocket, and then I'll, now I have these venues in my pocket because I'm getting on approved catering list. So, like, the catering company is rising, but the more I'm still in the, those developmental years, I'm having to invest in more equipment, invest in more staff. Uh, now I can just slide you $80 or $100 after an event. I have to actually, like, do this, you know, through, like, some type of accounting service and pay you at 1099 <laughs> Like, it's a real thing. And so... The more my brand increased, my pockets were going the opposite direction. Mm. Well, I wrote that I was struggling. I was, yeah, I was literally barely surviving. But I told God, like, listen, like, I'm going to go out here. And, well, I was down for a little bit. And then when I finally, you know, got some get up and go on some fight about myself, I was like, listen, I'm going to, all I got is my best. I'm going to go out here and do my best. And I also said, if I get any opportunity to serve in any capacity, I'm going to do it. So whether it's like doing like a food demo in a school, talking to some kids, I was just science fairs and shit. Now I'm not even good. And, but like, if you ask me to do, I'm sorry, can you say something? Yeah, it's fine. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> um, and I, you know. You ex- if you gave me the opportunity to serve in any capacity during that period of time and it aligned my schedule, I did it. And so I'm catering to stop doing quality work, and I'm serving. And I just knew that eventually, if I have this good, a- good attitude, good work ethic, good service going, something is going to pop. Something. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know what it's going to look like. But eventually, something's going to have to get. And sure enough, um, I get a phone call one day uh, from a client. And I had no idea who she was at the time. It was the that she hired me, but it turned out to be uh, Katie Young, who was Daddy's Young's wife, who was playing for the Brooklyn Nets at the time. Oh, wow. I had no idea uh, at the point that she emailed me. She didn't have any type of signature or anything like that. So I have zero concept of who I'm dealing with when I first started dealing with them. I thought I was just talking to a regular client. Wow. Wow. So from that point... So were you just, was that just an event for them or were you're like, they're on shift? I work is, it's crazy. Uh, the year prior, or at least a significant amount of months prior, she owns the beauty shop in Memphis and I catered an event at the beauty shop. Okay. And I remember this was on a Sunday and it was a small event and I had just kind of started pulling away from small events because they weren't lucrative. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not making real money. But this particular event, I I think I had already told them yes, and I wanted to honor that commitment. So I go in, and I cook at this event, and they like the food. But I had, I didn't even know if I met her that day. I have no concept of who she is, who owns this 
just like me cooking at a random event. I don't know these people, but the check cleared, so it is what it is. Uh, <laughs> so I guess she just kind of knew who I was from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she never called me, interviewed me, auditioned me, anything like that. She just hired me on the strength of knowing who I was through other people, I guess. I never really asked her what that was about, but there was no interview anything like that. We talked on the phone. She told me what kind of food she wanted. Uh, how many people I was cooking for, I told her my rates. She paid it like right there on the spot. And that was it. And so at that point, I still had no concept of who she is. I know you got money because at this point, you told me I was cooking for you, your husband, your kids, and a nanny. And I was like, oh, nanny, that. <laughs> um, for whatever reason, I go home, and this is a random weekday night, and my friends are all in my apartment swimming, and they grilled some food. And so I throw some trucks and hop to the pool, and I was like, yo, Darnell. I just got this job, and I had, at that point, I got used to clients saying no, because that, that's when I first started to kind of venture. I was still catering, but I started doing more personal chef work, where, like, I'm in your house cooking for you, mm-hmm. and people would, you know, kept saying no, my rates were too high, so I dropped my rates down a little bit, and people were still saying no, and so this was one of the first clients that was just kind of like, not only are your rates fine, can I go ahead and pay for the entire month, and I'm just kind of like, what's happening right now? <laughs> And so I get in the pool, and I'm just like, Darnell, you remember your homegirl that worked at that um, beauty shop I catered at event in a couple of months ago? She called me to cook for her family, and da, 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 I'm so excited. I need the money. And he was like, fool. She didn't work at that beauty shop. She owns it. And she owns it because her husband is, you know, and he's young. He plays for the Brooklyn Nets. And I was kind of like, oh. Uh, <laughs> no. I had already been paid, ain't met them yet, hadn't driven out to the house yet. I just had no idea who I was dealing with. So I, I would go to the house every Tuesday and cook enough meals for the week. And that was the plan for me to go in every Tuesday and cook all of these meals. And then the closer we got to the end of the summer, I was supposed to recommend a chef to New York because it was just the off season. And so they were still going back to New York. And uh, it just never occurred to me to be like, oh, I want to go to New York. I'll go to New York and be a chef there, too. But my friends had kind of started to hype me up a little bit. They were like, hey, bro, they're going to ask you to go to New York. Which I'm like, but what you going to do? And I said, you're not going to ask me. No, <laughs> I can never do that. I have a whole catering company here. Like, I can't just leave. I got weddings on the books. Like, what? It just, it just did not seem like a real thing. But sure enough, I was tipsy one day. And uh, I got the <laughs> Like, you know, if y'all are looking for a chef to go to New York, I'll go. And she was like, uh, okay, let me ask that about it. So she asked that, and that was like, submit a proposal. Because, um, you know, we definitely like your food, but, you know, New York is a different kind of place. So submit a proposal with, like, you know, how much money, and da, 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 and then we can talk. So I met this very thorough proposal. Like, it was a book. That it had pictures of them in it. It had sample menus, it had references, because at that point I had cooked for one or two grizzlies, so I had used them as references. Uh-huh. Uh, it was this a very elaborate Kinko's has to print this thing out. Like, it was like that type of dope. I, like, had a salary request, but, like, I went and showed, like, this is average how much chefs make in New York at that rate. I went and had, like, uh, this is how much subway costs, this is how much laundry costs. Like, I, was, I wasn't just asking for money because I knew you were rich. I wanted to literally break down what I was asking for, what I was asking for. Yeah. So I gave um, let's say I gave it to him on Tuesday when I went back to work the next week. Wednesday, and then uh, Thursday, and then by Friday, I'm thinking, like, oh, God, because I know it's getting ready. It, it's crunch time. They're getting ready to go back. So I knew it wasn't going to be a long time. And so we get to Friday, and I'm at the gym in the pool, and I'm like, God, I want this job so bad. I need this <laughs> 
in my lap, and I'm praying, and I get out of the pool, and I go to my locker, and I get my phone. I got a text from her saying, can you come home? And I was like, yeah. Oh, wow. Something to call me all the way over to your house just to tell me you're not going to get me this job. Like, so I'm thinking maybe I ask for too much money, and we're about to, like, have to, like, negotiate. And so I go, and I'm listening to my gospel music, and I'm preparing myself to negotiate. <laughs> Negotiated salary before, and I don't have time to pay because they asked me, could I come over now? So I'm like, I'm literally driving and praying and figuring out how to be, you know, aggressive enough in mm-hmm. this negotiation conversation. I get to the house. First thing he says, he's like, bro, that, uh, that proposal is so thorough. Like, people normally just give me, like, a sheet of paper, but, like, he's like, I got a whole book. That proposal just got you a job. That's the first thing he said. And so, in my mind, I kind of blacked out at that point. Like, <laughs> Like, you can't be in here, like, emotional and, and, and grinning all extra hard. Like, this is your cool NBA boss now. You got to act like you. Yeah. I'm trying to keep, I'm trying to keep it together. <laughs> and so, at that point, all right, so now I know I got a job. We're about to talk about uh, price now. I'm prepared to negotiate. He was just kind of like, so this price you requested for, okay, okay, that works for me. You want it, like, you want it right now in a whole check, or you want it, like, monthly, you want it weekly, it is at that point where, like, you could have fought me and so, like, ah. <laughs> I left my body. Like, it was just, uh, I couldn't believe it. So I, I don't even really remember the rest of that conversation, correct? Yeah. I the rest of the trying not to cry or trying not to smile too hard. Yeah. I'm really happy it's all over my face. So I'm trying to act like you just didn't change my life, that I'm used to nice things. But on the inside, it's kind of like, oh, God, oh, God, this is happening. <laughs> this is happening. Like, I am moving to New York to work for an NBA player. This is happening. Um, and so, yeah, I moved to New York uh, with them. I worked for them for one season in New York. And then we got traded over the summer to Indiana and dope. I moved with them to Indiana and I worked for them for one season. So I worked for them for two seasons and I left at the end of last season in May to kind of do my own thing again because right now I'm kind of popping and I got a lot of great opportunities and while that was an amazing opportunity, it was basically a job. It was a nine to five job and you know, I was getting up somebody might call me to cook for something in LA and I would like have to add soft work and that kind of thing. And so it got to a place where I was like, All right, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna jump out there on faith again but like this time it's gonna be a little different. I have, you know, a lot more going for me than I did last time I jumped out on faith. Yeah, that's dope. That is so oh my God. So not only did did you move with them to New York? But they took you along for the next season in Indiana. That is so yeah, dope. Yeah, anywhere they go, I would have gone. Like, that's how the Miss um, uh, Marine, the nanny, uh, the assistant, his brother, like, they've been to a couple of different cities with them at this point. Anywhere they go, they go. That's so why I would have just traveled wherever they went. So now at this point, um, since you're no longer working with them, are you still going back to doing just, I know you have some other things oh. with your business, but are you doing catering along with the other things that you're doing too? Uh, so, so my life is really interesting right now. Um, I'm in a place for the first time that I get to do completely what I want to do. And what I recognized about catering was I never wanted to be a caterer. I just wanted to be a chef. And catering was the vehicle 
that allowed me to do that on my own. Um, and so there was a lot of, at that point, my catering company was probably definitely among the top black catering companies in Memphis. And, um, and now I have to have a conversation with myself about, like, do you want to continue to do this? Like, I, you're in a unique space in life where, like, now you get to not just have to do something to pay your bills and not just have to do something because you have to do it. Now you get to make decisions based off what you really, really want to do. And so what I decided is I pulled back from catering to do more personal chef work. I, mm. I, I enjoy personal chef work, and now I have the experience and the kind of notoriety to charge what I want to charge, and people gladly pay it because now you think I'm somebody. Uh, whereas people were paying that back. <laughs> yeah. People, you know, it's not it's nothing. Um, and I get to cook, you know, all over the country. Like, I'll be an event in D.C. on Saturday and an event in Memphis on Sunday. So, like, I am on the plane, I'm going, I'm in different kitchens with different groups of people and different audiences. And so I, that's what I wanted to do. I got what I recognized also when I was at private chef that, you know, I got kind of bored, you know, the same kitchen, the same people, like eventually you kind of grow to know what they like and they don't like. So you're cooking some of the same stuff a lot. And that was, you know, it was an amazing job. I got bored. And so and with catering, I also got bored because people kind of know what you're, you know, what they hear, what your, you know, some of your signature recipes are. So now I'm making egg rolls all the time. I don't mm. care what my name People are ordering the same about 10 things. So now I'm making this 100 times or 200 times. So that was boring. The personal <laughs> chef work gets me to, like, you know, see people all over the world, cook for small events, uh, get to experience. See people experience. You know, if I care for a wedding, I don't get. To, I'm in the back, so I don't get to see people's reaction. Every now and then, I'll come out and people will be like, "Oh my God, that was so good!" But like a small, intimate, you know, event in someone's home, it's just kind of like you get to see their faces that if they enjoy the food. Yeah. In a kitchen, you're in a different city. You go to different grocery stores. It's just cool. And so, I recognize that that's what I wanted to do. And so. I'm not saying that I don't cater anymore. I'm saying that, like, every now and then, a catering opportunity that's just too amazing to pass up comes along, and uh, we'll do that. Um, like, for example, I'm doing an event for St. Jude next week, and St. Jude is just an organization that, I, you know, I will not say no to. Uh, but, like, I've turned away about eight brides. Oh, wow. Just because that's just not what I wanted to do anymore, and I'm in a position to say I don't want to do it. That's, that's, and yeah. What I'm going to do, I'm doing more food styling things. Like, uh, there used to be a point where, like, if you look on my Instagram, no matter what I cooked that day, went onto my Instagram. Mm -hmm. Now, if it's not like a professional image that is not styled and very well put together with a professional camera, I don't post it anymore. Now, if I post a picture of something, it typically, typically comes with a recipe or a recipe video that's also on my website. So just being very intentional about the content that I produce, uh, how much of it I produce, when I produce it, what it looks like, um, that you can go to my website and actually get the recipe. So you're just not looking at the pre-picture of some food that you can have yourself. Yeah. Now you can go to the website and get it. I'm hosting more events. I used to only do one a year. Now I'm going to like two or three a year. Those are always selling out. Um, working on some YouTube stuff um, that I'm really, really excited about. I'm just being very intentional about right now I'm in a I'm in a beautiful and uh very blessed space where I 
can create what I want to create. If I don't want to, I don't have to. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. You are in creation heaven. That's that's. I'm still climbing the ladder to get there. <laughs> but I can't wait. Like, I'm listening to you, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. That That is, even though, you know, I'm not saying entrepreneurship is easy peasy. I know that it's not. But it's it's nothing like the feeling of saying, you know what, I can say no to this. And you can say no to it. You know what I mean? And I, I, I don't have to request all for this. And I don't have to get this person's permit. You know, just doing your own yeah. thing on your own time. Because I was like, you know, there's no time for you. You are making good money working for an NBA player. Like, there's chefs that would, like, if they could kill me to get their job, they would have. And nobody finds out about it. Yeah. You were in people's dream jobs, and you're still like, man, but I want to be this girl. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was just crazy. And I thought I was crazy. I went through a long period of time when I was considering leaving. Like, are you, are you, <laughs> you are at this point an expert at quitting jobs. It seems like something has to be wrong. With you. Like, there's nothing wrong with the job. Making good money. This is a really like. And sometimes celebrities are crazy. And you, I, you hear horror stories, and that was not the case. I had yeah. really easy family, real cool, regular, normal message folks, and I'm still just kind of like, I mean, yeah, but nah. Like, I want to do something else. I want to. I want to make the fancy food. I want to, and I want to style it. I want to plate it. I want to, I want to <laughs> make a picnic table spread just for the picture. I want to, <laughs> I'm like, I want, like, ah, like, that's what I want. I want to, yeah. I want to, I want to create content for like YouTube and social media. I want to, like, uh, I want to go and cook in DC and Miami and LA and Atlanta. And I don't want to have to, asked to be off to do so and I want to be able to stay as long as I want to and I want to be able to go if I want to and that's kind of where life is and so I thought I was crazy at the time because that was a really good job and I was kind of like you're losing your mind right now I was like stop it um, well here we are <laughs> I'm, I'm living the life that I want to live I'm doing it on my own terms and um, I'm fortunate because, you know, I still have my catering company and license, so if I ever get to a point where it's kind of like, all right, bro, like, you need to go back to doing this, I can. Yeah. Um, but what I'm finding is opportunities just present it, present themselves. Mm -hmm. um, if you just, if you, you know, if you do quality work and you have a good reputation and you handle people right, you do business right. Exactly. You just kind of do what you need to do. Things just kind of manifest, and that's what's happened for me. That that is, yeah, that is dope. That is so dope. And speaking of, even though I haven't been to any of any event that you have had your food at, I have purchased your calendar full of those recipes. And no, I'm not a chef, but baby, <laughs> when I tell you. Those recipes. Woo. I could. Okay, so last night. No, was it last night? No, it wasn't last night. It was Thursday night. Okay, the other day. Let me just say the other day. I cooked that crab enchilada soup. Oh, my 
Gosh, because oh my gosh, and I I will say I have a confession. Please don't, please don't kill me. (laughs) I did not, I did not use fresh crab. I did not use fresh crab. I did get it out of the can. I did, (laughs) but no, no. When I say fresh crab, because the crab meat I use comes in the can too. I just meant not to get the imitation crab. Okay, crab meat. Okay, okay, yeah, I get. I, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to confess to him. I, I, I don't want nobody out here cracking crab legs. <laughs> so, that's a lot of doing. <laughs> so, when I say, because, okay, so, you know, the name of this podcast is Getting Fit, and so I, sometimes because I still work a, a full-time job, and I'm doing this, and I'm working out. My workouts are intense and stuff, so they're longer than what I usually work out in. So my time is limited. So I don't cook as many, like, different recipes as I used to. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, I'm tired of eating this boring shit <laughs> that I've been cooking for, you know, forever. I'm So I turn to your calendar, and I'm like, hmm, let me see something. And the thing is that I love about – you're, and I flip forward. I don't, I'm one of those people. I know you mentioned that you are structured. I am structured to an extent, but I kind of like to step out the box a lot of times. So I fast forward in the calendar and I'm like, oh my gosh. Ooh, ooh. So I cook, um, yeah, the crab enchilada soup and I cook the jerk tuna cakes. Mm-hmm. Bay, Baby, <laughs> that's all I can say. That's all I can say. My my boyfriend, he was like, "What is this? Oh, this is so good. What is this? What is this?" And I was like, "Oh, it's just a little stuff, something I don't put up, you know." <laughs> <laughs> so, I, and the thing is that I love about it is because well, all of the recipes that I have cooked. Um, I'm trying to say I cooked the wings for New Year's. Um, yeah, I cook those for New Year's. But everything that I love about the recipes that I've seen thus far is I can find all of the ingredients at a regular grocery store. Yes. That's what I love about it because, like, it's been sometimes that I go to a grocery store and, and I mean, I get a recipe or whatever, and I go to the grocery store, like Kroger or whatever, and I'm like, okay, I know I can get majority of this stuff. And then it'll be, like, two things on the list, and I'm like, okay, what the heck is this? I never saw this. And I know the grocery store pretty well because I used to be a manager. I used to work in a grocery store when I was um, in high school. And then after college, I ended up being a manager in a grocery store. So I know the grocery store pretty well. And I was like, I'm going to have to go to Whole Foods. No offense to Whole Foods, but I just don't like going to three different stores for one dish, you know. But everything I got was in that one store and I did shop at Kroger and it was a business and then to make it all better when I put it because I some people don't do this and because it takes so much time but because I'm watching what I'm eating I put all of my ingredients in the little recipe part of my fitness pal and yes it matched like I did for the um enchilada soup I had did like 10 servings and it ended up coming to like almost 200 calories and the fats, the carbs, because I look at the macros, I'm one of those people. The fat, the carb, and the protein is on point. I was like, oh, shit, I can eat this like all the time. 
one of the things that I, I, I struggled with was whether or not to put the macros in the calendar. Um, and I decided not to because I know what it's like. There's so many people who, like, are intimidated by, like, working out and eating healthy. Like, we, we function in this place where, like, we have to go either extremely hard or not at all. Yeah. And, like, if I'm not eating chicken with chicken breast with no salt, steamed broccoli and brown rice, then I'm eating pizza. There's nothing in between. And so I wanted to create something in between. And a lot of times when I talk about the calendar, I say it's healthy-ish because it basically takes your favorite comfort food and gives you a healthy alternative. Yeah. Uh, and so I didn't want people to get so caught up in, like, the calories and stuff like that because uh, it's, I think it's, it's intimidating. It stresses people out. Yeah. And, you know, you trying to get it exactly right. And so I really struggled with whether or not to, because, of course, I did the research, and so I know what the macros are. But I was like, should I put that in there and not? Or should I, you know, just kind of leave it, in, you know, it's generally healthy so people are not as overwhelmed by it. And I also think it just helps to feel better when people are like, oh, this looks like something I would really enjoy. One lady uh, emailed me about her calendar and was like, listen, I made this for my boyfriend, and I forget which dish she said she made, but she was like, she was like, there's no way this could be healthy. There's absolutely <laughs> no way this could be healthy. And I was like, I promise, guys, I'm not leading you astray. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, like, I was just, and you know what? I, well, I'm one of those people that, um, even if the even if I see the macros, if I want it, I'm gonna eat it. You know what I mean? If if it say like each serving is five hundred calories, I would be like, oh, I probably shouldn't have, but I just do something extra in the gym because because if I want it, I'm going to eat it. But when I was so when I was cooking the um, enchilada soup, I already had started cooking, and then I had ended up doing like all of the putting everything in my fitness pal later. And I was like, I knew it was going to have a good source of protein because of all the crab meat. But I was still just like, These, this is really, really good. And I love to have something that is, you know, healthy and it tastes so good. Oh, my gosh. And the jerk tuna cake. Oh, my gosh. Like, this is that's what the goal. The goal is to create recipes that are healthy, um, but not intimidating. That are still good and flavorful. Because, like I said, I think that people think with meal prep, your mind goes straight to like, if it's not bland and it's not, you know, some stuff I really don't want to eat, then it's not right. Like, if this is not the blandest food you've ever had, then it's not real meal prep. Like, meal prep is not supposed to taste good. Yeah. <laughs> so, create something that was like, no, this is still healthy, this is still good, this is, it gives you variety, because I think a lot of time when people meal prep, they kind of get like a couple of recipes that they kind of rotate over and over, mm-hmm. over so you're tired of it, so it's trying to give you some additional ideas, um, and again, like there's some, like I, I, I recognize that there's some trainers, I I've been working with a lot of trainers to advertise the calendars, and a lot of them are, like, in full support. But I know there's, like, one or two that's just kind of like, um, how much sodium is this? And it's kind of like, I, I, I'm not even trying to pretend like this is that type of calendar where, like, I am. <laughs> yeah. Every piece of salt and all that kind of thing. But it's truly to get people healthy alternatives 
to like the boring stuff that they used to. Because if I saw one more dry chicken breast, yeah, <laughs> broccoli and brown rice and some Tupperware, I was going to throw my phone. <laughs> that's, what, that's what you see when people meal prep. That's yeah, a salad in a type of mason jar, or you know, we all been doing the same stuff. So I just want to give people some some additional ideas. Yeah, and it's good. And and also too, one thing I like about it is that when you don't include um those macros is to you can do your own substitute type of Yeah, I think I think that's a good decision that you made. Also, you say you were talking you you are with some trainers and you do you promote your <clears throat> calendar with some trainers. Speaking of, I saw one of your pictures and I was like, "Hold up." Is he? I don't. I, I, are you toning up? I mean, because you're not a chubby guy at all or anything like that. So, did you feel the need to kind of get Mr. Buff body? Well, first of all, everybody wants to be. There's <laughs> <laughs> that. Like, I, I will always, for the rest of my life, want to be a sexy person when I take my clothes. Yeah. Is so, that. But there, there was also some additional pressure. Like, if you are selling this healthy meal prep fitness-related um, item, you, your body needs to reflect that. And so, while well, I recognize that I wasn't going to be walking around here looking like a personal trainer and, and stuff like that, I needed to be on the news doing a few food interviews and not have, like, a, a good. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, kind of like, you don't even look like what you're selling. And so, there was some pressure there to make sure that, I, you know, I looked the part as well. But generally, I just want to look good naked <laughs> and be healthy. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And see, that's the thing, got too, because I have this conversation with people all the time, even though, <laughs> even though I get it. Like I, at work, I try to talk to people about it's not. You know, working out is not just about you losing weight or you trying to get the perfect body it's about you just being a healthy healthy being you know yourself but you know a lot of people don't want to hear that <laughs> they're like jim uh push up what uh no i just want to eat but so the last thing i want to talk to you about is some of your achievements that you have went through i saw that you were featured in essence magazine correct yep yeah. wow so how did you get, how did that happen? A uh, friend of mine, you know, I, I've only met him once. I don't even know if I should call him a friend. He runs the blog uh, Soul Society. It's like, I don't know if you follow him on Instagram, but it's like, you know, black people traveling real dope places. Every now and then they will uh, highlight a chef or a recipe. And so years ago, this was before New York. I was still in Memphis the first time. And they, did a feature on me because it's one of the chefs that they were doing. And so then, when it's about the time I moved to New York, they used to host these random events in New York, like a random day party or a random brunch. And so I went to a brunch one time, and he, you know, I got to actually meet him, and we talked, and we just kind of followed each other on social media. Well, now he works for Essence. Um, and he hit me up a long time ago. They were about this thing they were doing with Essence called My City Four Ways. I didn't even know the name of it at that point. He basically said they were going to... Uh, under all of these creatives or highlight all of these creatives and select cities, um, one person in food, one person in fashion, one person in music, and one person in art. And 
and just want to be an event and they're under these people and highlight these people um, and that he really wants to use me for the chef in Memphis and like did I know anybody in the other areas so at that point it's like one of those things that feels like oh this may or may not happen this is it could be a real thing it could not be because um, it might have been I'm not going to say it was a year before it happened but it was several months before it actually happened and then we got a little closer to the date, and he was like, okay, this is officially a real thing. Submit me all your information on yourself. I'm going to pitch you to be the chef in Memphis. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Mm. Okay. Um, that's what I did, and they picked me and, you know, signed some contracts with Essence, and I was there. Like, I had to do the event. Um, they had an event. They did it in D.C. and Atlanta before they did it in Memphis, and then they came to Memphis. Uh and I had to cater the event. Um, I had to do, like, interviews. It was sponsored also by Ford, so I had to, like, kind of model in a Ford car mm-hmm. and do the interviews. And, they, like, car service everywhere they took me that weekend. It was just it was just dope. And so I knew that I was going to do the event, and the event was going to be a big deal. They had all of these other celebrities come in. Like, Khalees was another chef that worked with me. Well, okay. I got to work with her. Let me rephrase that. Uh, June Ambrose. Uh, Ro James, Lundy Love, all of them were here for it. It was really, really cool. And so then they posted the event on their website, on com, which is all that I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the, I get a, somebody sent me an Instagram of Essence Magazine a few weeks ago. And I was in there, and I was just kind of like, oh, <laughs> like I, I thought this was over with. Like every time I think, you know, all of the fruits that is to come from this second event has already occurred. Something else happens. Yeah. Um, the magazine just dropped the February issue, so I'm really excited about that. Hopefully some cool things continue to manifest from that, even if, even if not directly from them, just as a result of having had that opportunity. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. And more, more, I mean, you just can, it's like one thing after another after another. You just keep and I'm, on like, I'm on this, this fancy get fit podcast. <laughs> I'm just keep coming. I know, I know, and so hopefully, I, I, I mean, I, I'm not even going to say hopefully because it will. Because you are truly an inspiration, even though it's like we are all in a different paths. Just being right. in that in that entrepreneur creative industry. I'm truly inspired by you and everything is, I mean, it's, of course, it's so much that you have discussed today that I had no idea about things. And that's why I like to have these interviews because it's some things that you just can't read about. You know what I mean? I like to actually learn about that person from the person. Right. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast and just where can everybody uh, reach you? Oh, God, good question. So you can reach me on my uh, website, www.chefdarthur.com. That's chef, D-A-R-T-H-U-R.com. Um, also on Instagram, I do a lot of, like, social media stuff, and I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a millennial, so I'm on there all the time. Um, and that's chef underscore D-Arthur on Instagram. Again, that's chef underscore D-Arthur, D-A-R-T-H-U-R. On Facebook, you can find me. Um, my page is listed also with Chef D. Arthur. So it's, everything is pretty consistent with the name, Chef D. Arthur. If you Google that, Instagram that, Facebook that, you'll be able to find me. And the website is the same. 
I'm, I, I do a brunch every year. Last year we broke it up to two brunches. And so the first we're going to do two again this year. And the first is going to be on April 8th at the High Point Ballroom. Uh, tickets will be $50, but you get uh, a bottomless brunch buffet and bottomless mimosas. We traditionally do drink tickets, but this time we're going bottomless. Tickets will be on sale on my website, www.chefdiarca.com. We only sell 200, so it's like first come, first serve, and people are always begging for tickets after I sell out this year. The venue that I have that I love, that fire code is 200, so get your tickets ASAP because and- this year I'm not letting in no extra people because I can't. <laughs> uh, and, and that's here in Memphis, right? That is in Memphis, Tennessee. Sunday, April 8th, High Point Ballroom, and it's brunch and karaoke. We did karaoke at the last brunch last year, and it was such a hit that I decided that we're just going to do karaoke every time that people enjoy it. Oh, my Um, gosh. I'm definitely coming. Come on. Come on through. (laughs) Well, thank you again for coming on the podcast. I truly enjoyed this. I enjoyed it, too. Thank you for <laughs> taking my podcast and did it because now I know what to expect. It was easy. You were easy to talk. It's like talking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Getting Fit Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. If you have any questions or would like to be a guest on the podcast, please email us at gettingfitpodcast.com. Feel free to leave a comment and let us know what you think about our guests and what type of guests you would like to have on this show. All right. We'll hear from you all next week. Stay tuned.